Merry Christmas and welcome everyone to another episode of the Friendly Ex-Muslim Podcast. Today I'm joined by a new friend, Al-Mu'allim. We met on TikTok. Al-Mu'allim has been a subscriber of the channel for a while now. And he has an interesting, um, let's say background, interesting background. So how's it going, Al-Mu'allim? Pretty good, pretty good. It's pretty hot over here out in Australia. So um, yeah, just been sweating a lot and <laughs> trying oh, to stay yeah. indoors as much as possible. Yeah. Oh, it's like uh, snowing over here, icy cold. Yeah. So yeah, opposite exactly. side of the earth. Exactly right. Yeah. So um, you have a lot of um, interesting content on TikTok and a lot of the content is based on sort of academic criticisms or analysis, I should say, not criticism, but academic analysis of the history of the different religions, the commonalities. And would you agree that like a lot of this interest is coming because of your background? Absolutely. Um, yeah. So as, as we've spoken before, so I was raised Christian, Pentecostal Christian by both parents. So, you know, the whole um, emphasis on the Holy Spirit and like, you know, going to church every Sunday, going to Bible study during the week, it was quite, quite a big part of my, I guess, growing up. And then, yeah, when I turned 18, um, I was like searching for truth. You know, I felt like there was a lot of contradictions within the Bible. And I was looking really, um, you know, uh, at the at a basic level, a connection with my creator, with God, that was similar to what I thought the, you know, the patriarchs, for example, had, you know, um, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Uh, and I just wanted, you know, to find a faith that could offer that to me, a direct connection, not have to go through jesus or you know the holy spirit or whatever other medium you know uh, christians use so i found islam and i kept researching you know even when i converted um to islam at 18 i kept on researching and wanting to find answers to questions and you know i was just always a bit bit of a religion nerd you know in that sense and um eventually that led me to atheism or agnosticism fascinating so you're actually you and I have like a sort of parallel path. So around you were around 17. I was around 18 or so as well. And I converted from Ismailism, which was kind of like for all intents and purposes, it, it was like a different, it's like a different religion, even though it is a sect of Islam. Right. It's a very different sect of Islam. So I converted to Sunnism. You also changed your religion around that same time. So uh, we were just speaking about this. It's almost like around that age it's an age of enlightenment or seeking you know young right. men looking for your meaning and and the purpose and the place in in life and exactly unfortunately right. and unfortunately also you know it means that some of us fall into the long ideologies um a lot of you know terrorist groups actually manage to get young men around <laughs> this age because we're also quite impressionable right Correct. we don't necessarily have the big pictures and um so let's talk about some of that because i think there's a lot more commonality there what were the what were the um, selling points to you you said it was like one god without the trinity was it correct trinity? okay yeah can the you elaborate trinity, yeah and then there so, was the scientific yeah. miracles as well so if you can just elaborate <laughs> a bit on that stuff. absolutely so um i guess one of the main things that did appeal to me because i did feel like the christian version of god was i guess incorrect they had gotten it wrong in terms of you know having jesus in the middle and having Jesus almost equal to God the Father, you know, as, as it's referred to in the Old Testament. And um, I wanted to find something, I guess, that really offered me a, a clean connection, um, something that was, I guess, more pure, you know, to keep it in simple terms. And Islam offered me that, you know, I had Muslim friends and I asked them questions, you know, um, even at an early age, I, would ask, I was asking lots of questions about, you know, who, who is your God? You know, what does, what does he say? What does your text say? What does the Quran say? Et cetera, et cetera. And so it appealed to me, you know, this this awesome connection, and it was sold that way. 
Islam is the restoration of pure monotheism that was always preached throughout history. That's what we're taught as Muslims, right? That's what you're, you're sold. Like a lot of Christians, they buy into this. They say, wow, that's amazing. You know, this is really what I'm looking for as well. Why is Jesus in, in the picture anyway? You know, Jesus is just a man, etc. Historically speaking, he is just a man as well. Historically speaking, according to historians like Bart Ehrman, he didn't preach that he was divine either, right? So anyway, yep. all these little yep. arguments, right, they, they, they come into play. And for me, um, it was a no-brainer, you know, especially when I was presented with these scientific miracles. So... You know, so before we like, jump to that, before we jump to that, yeah. we can just talk mm -hmm. about a little bit more about Christianity. Oh, yeah. Looking back on it now, um, a lot of Christians do are convinced about with these arguments, but like the the problems in the Islamic narrative that are the, the issues which are ahistorical, for example, Jesus not being crucified, but being replaced with another man. Well, first of all, it's a sort of in um unfalsifiable theory. Like if if someone claims that like the the guy I shot, like let's say you know someone murdered his wife, and he said, "No, I didn't shoot my wife. It's a woman that looked like her." Like right. people were like, "It is oh, it's a bit okay. like that." Yeah, and you know what's interesting about that actually? Yeah. So I feel like uh, I haven't done like you know a summary of every single point within the Quran. I really want to do this, and I'm, I'm sure other people have tried to in the past. But every single element of Islam um, is traceable, right, back to an earlier text or an earlier belief. So this is not new. This is an, an innovation necessarily that Muhammad introduced, you know, to the world. This concept, right, of Jesus appearing to be, or someone appearing to be Jesus on the cross is called docetic Christianity. It precedes Islam. That's a fact, right? You look into Bart Ehrman's work, docetic Christians, right, comes from the word dokeo in Greek, which means to appear, right, to seem. Now, this was something that early Christians, maybe I think within a hundred years, started to propose because they couldn't believe. They came up with this theology that how could Jesus actually, how could God actually die, right? So they come up with this explanation, and I guess some remnants must have stayed around. You know, I don't have the proof, you know, necessarily myself, but I'm sure it's out there. I'm sure there are historians who have made this link already that show that this Docetic Christianity was spread around. You know, particularly, you know, it's the Middle East. It's not like they're that far away. It's not like we're talking about Australia. And myths occurring in Australia, which somehow tra got transported to Arabia. Arabia is not that far from Palestine. And, you know, we know Muhammad yeah. was was a, a merchant. You know, he traveled around and there were Christian and Jewish tribes around, you know, in the, in, in the Arabian Peninsula, as we all know. So, you know, docetic Christianity, this belief that Jesus appeared to have died on the cross, no doubt was the story that was circulating already. And uh, we know that Waraka had basically translated or he was writing the Bible. There's a hadith that says he was writing the Bible into Arabic. We know that there was basically fringe beliefs. We, I don't think that the Christianity that was going around in Arabia was orthodox, basically, because we can see in the Quran that, you know, there's no mention of the Pope. The Pope, which is the most, you know, the, the biggest sect of christianity is catholicism and you know the church of you know the catholic church the pope none of that concept even exists or is even mentioned in the quran what is mentioned is some things which are kind of weird right like things that are considered as you said we know the sources for it and i don't know if we're planning to get into this later because we actually you actually sent me some notes on some of these things uh, so let me know if, if you're going to cover it later we can cover it later but like Things like, for example, the infancy gospel of uh, the Syriac infancy gospel, um, Jesus speaking as a baby, 
um, Jesus, the clay bird story. There's a lot of these stories were like circulating in Syriac, which is, I guess, a, a related language to Arabic and was accessible to Muhammad, right? You're muted. Sorry, I'm on mute. Um, yeah, so that, that is the suspicion, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, th there are some, I guess, videos that have come out. You know, you can look up Syriac origins of the Quran in, on YouTube and you'll see a little documentary. Some Germans have done some studies on that. And um, I guess Muslims come out and refute it and everything. But <laughs> there yeah. are some connections made, right? Yeah. It's actually a very good video made by an ex-Muslim. Um, I think his Shalif, name is Shalif Gabba, Shalif Gabba. Yeah. Yes, he's amazing. I love that yeah. video. Um, I think he references one particular German scholar, you know, throughout his videos. But essentially, yeah, there is a connection there between Syria, Christianity, yeah. and Islam. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and so, um, yeah, so we, we mentioned the, the whole thing about um, the the crucif crucifixion. The mm -hmm. other issue to me was, um, there's two more things. One is that the idea of Jesus being born from a virgin is something mm -hmm. that we don't find in, I know Christians will disagree, but we don't find this in Mark. You know, it comes later on in the later gospel. The idea of heaven and hell, mm -hmm. that's something that comes later. I think you have that in your notes. We'll talk about that later. And the last yeah. thing I'm going to mention is basically the concept of the gospel. And I think you actually have that in your notes as well, the Injil. Are you going to talk about that? Or should we talk about that now? Uh, the Injil, I guess we can talk about it briefly. Okay. I haven't done a lot of studies on this, you know, but um, the fact is the Quran says that Jesus and, you know, if, I guess people will try and reinterpret what the Quran says, but you hear multiple um, Islamic scholars, you could say, you know, sheikhs online, they say, you know, that um, or they propose the idea that Isa, Jesus, was walking around with a book, kitab, right? They're walking around with a book preaching. No historian of early Christianity will agree with that. None of them. That he didn't walk around with a text. He walked around with a message, you know, of an oral message, which was that the world was ending. He was an apocalypticist, and all he preached was that the world was ending and everyone needed to repent. And he thought that he was the Messiah ushering in this new era of, um, yeah, basically this new era of God, you know, the new kingdom, etc. And, um, yeah, that's it. You know, there's no real proof of this book. So that's what I'm going to leave with Muslims to, to think about. You know, after 2,000 years, there is no proof of Jesus carrying a book around you know, if it is there, where is it? Yeah, to me, it it seems like a big mistake because the gospel is the same name that the Christians use. So we, we can agree that the official doctrine is the Christian doctrine, meaning Christianity came before Islam and Islam is describing Christianity. So that, that we get. Now, Christ, Christianity has a concept of a gospel, the gospel of Jesus, the good news which is four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are written about Jesus. They're, they're not written by Jesus. They're not revealed to Jesus. Exactly. They're little, like, they're, they're like stories about Jesus, right? Inspired Correct. by the Holy Spirit. Right. Quran somehow uses the exact same word, Injil, gospel, let's say that's what it means, mm -hmm. yet it's talking about something totally different. It's not talking about the inspired word of god that was inspired to the disciples no. um it's totally different it's not yet exactly. it uses the same word so to me it, it just feels it feels out of place it feels like jesus um is basically a character that was copy pasted into islam out of place because he doesn't fit he has a virgin birth for no re good reason 
he's just has one. He's a messiah for no good reason. He just mm -hmm. is. That's he's, one uh, big one. Yes, the messiahship like, of Jesus is actually a quite a significant thing. I will touch on that later on, but yes, okay. that, that's definitely a big big point to talk about. Yeah, so that's all I have to say about Christianity. But it's just I agree with you that like a lot of Christians are convinced, including um, people I know that converted from Christianity to Islam. They're like, yeah, Trinity is not logical, but like. To be honest, like there's a lot of things in Islam which are not logical either of about course. Allah, right? You know what I'm saying? Like Absolutely. his names are contradictory. Many, many of his names are like they contradict each other. He's he's most merciful, but he's also the most just. And also he's, you know, the vent vengeful, or like he's, you know, Shadid al Uqab. Hmm? The plotter that he, he plots best. Yeah. Makar al Makarin or whatever. Uh, right. So yeah, there's the, there's a lot of names that contradict each other, and it's almost mm -hmm. like a human being. This this character in the sky that has all. The... Now, of course, Islamic philosophers that came later found different ways to make sense of these, um, different ways of making sense of these like contradictory, very human sounding things, like his face and his shin and his right. hands, and you know the Ashari school of thought. They don't take any of these things literally even though the hadith mm -hmm. appears to be literal. But anyways, getting off topic. So let's go back to your story. Okay. So yeah, so Jesus seemed to make sense more, seemed to make more sense in Islam. Uh, well, yeah, I guess uh, his position as just give me human being, right? Yes, and yes, I guess yes. like the fact, the fact that, I think what's appealing to Christians, to be honest, is the fact that Islam recognizes Jesus in some capacity, right? So it yes. doesn't outrightly deny his existence or like completely like ignores him as Judaism does. Right, so Judaism almost becomes a, a non-option for Christians because they they've grown up with this name. As Muslims grew up with the name Muhammad repeated to them since birth, right? Christians grew up with the name Jesus, sung in songs all the time, right? Sung in like you know just repeated constantly. So to deny his existence after growing up with it, it's almost impossible, right? Mm -hmm. So um, if someone offers them a solution that says you know meets them halfway and says you know what he's the Messiah, we'll give you that, <laughs> even though we don't we're not, even though we don't know what Al Masih means, right? We'll give you that. Anointed. And then, Right. Yeah, that's okay. But then, but then some Muslims text will say, you know, some tafsir will say we don't know what it means. It's an uh, like unknown term, right? So yeah. um, I feel like it's not really explained unless you refer back to the Bible. But anyway, um, there's that. And then the fact that he's a man, you know, I yeah. guess um, the fact that he uh, preached one God and all these different things. So I guess that, you know, they meet Christians halfway. And to me, that 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 caught me. That got me. I was like, "Yeah, sweet. That's a pretty good deal." You know, I'm going to get this relationship with God that I've always wanted, which is a direct connection. And you don't deny my, you know, my number one human savior who lived two thousand years ago. So awesome. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is, Islam got, or I should say, Muhammad got some things right and some things wrong. He he tried to appease the Jews. I mean, most of the Quran, like a, a vast, like a, a large chunk of it is talking about the, the stories of the old prophets, uh, Old Testament, especially right. Moses. I mean, the biggest chapter mm -hmm. in the Quran, Al-Baqarah, not to mention mm -hmm. Surah Taha and other surahs. They talk about the story of Moses over and over again. He Correct. was obviously appealing, even facing, you know, Beit al-Maqdis. He was trying to appease, uh, appeal to the Jews. They're like not having this. They're like, no way, buddy. That's You're right. a big prophet. We don't want anything to do with you. But he managed to, even though there's very little content about Jesus in the Quran, somehow mm -hmm. it became a big selling point. Like big time. Of, and and in the US, at least in the US, I mean, obviously most Americans are Christian, but mm -hmm. the biggest outflow of Christians from Christianity, from what I've seen, the stats, is to Islam. Yeah. <laughs> and okay. from Islam, 
from Islam, they tend to go to atheists or agnostic, but but it's like a yeah. funnel. <laughs> so you're yeah, on step two much. of the funnel. <laughs> you know, um, I think Christopher Hitchens, he, he said it once, you know, that um, Islam, you know, you see with the passage of time, you see, you know, Christianity has three gods. Yeah. Islam proposes one. So they're one step closer, you know, to the true number. <laughs> Zero. I love that clip of him. I'm not a big fan of everything he says, but that's one yeah. clip I really like what he says. Yeah. 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 So I got I got there in the end, you know, I guess that's what matters. <laughs> so you're, you're atheist now. Pretty much. Like I say I'm atheist in terms of Abrahamic, sorry, my mask is falling down, yeah. Abrahamic faiths. Mm -hmm. um, but agnosticism, you know, when, when Muslims come to me or Christians, they say, where did we come from then, right? Um, who created us, et cetera, et cetera. I just say, I don't know, right? Mm -hmm. On that, on those topics, I'm agnostic. Got it. Yeah, I um, yeah. I think that's a good way to put it. Uh, mm -hmm. Just take a quick pause and uh, quickly um, say thank sure. you to, uh, hey, Vale Droz, thank you so much for the super chat, for a $5 super chat, a five British pound super chat um i'm so chuffed please check out my tiktoks i'm just a small fish in the big ocean but love being an ex-muslim lesbian who's having a great life uh all the power to you uh veil droves uh thank you for the super chat and quickly handle the second super chat uh a lot of the christians i've met say the bible is supposed to be interpreted metaphorically a lot of early christians did too is this true do you know the answer to this i don't know i, I would love to study a bit more about that you know how christians reacted interpreted the early text but i'm not I'm, it, to be honest I'm skeptical. I'm I'm truly skeptical. And the reason for that, I'm not an expert, not an academic, not a scholar. But the the literal meaning is the most straightforward interpretation usually. And to say it means otherwise, when it's not clear that that's the meaning, to me, it's a little bit of a stretch, right? It's it's possible. Sure. Maybe some of the maybe some of the Bible. I mean, I'm not talking about the Bible. I'm just speaking in general. But like any text, typically you would take. I mean, the Quran itself. You know, some Muslims will say this, even though less Muslims will say this. But it's a harder stretch with the Quran to do this because the Quran claims to be telling the truth of the unseen that Muhammad didn't know. Like that is how it corners itself. If you want to say these stories are not literal, Adam and Eve, and this and that, well, good luck because the Quran actually says, "Well, Muhammad, you were not there." when they were picking straws to decide who was going right, to take care right. of Maryam. And this is knowledge of the unseen that I'm revealing to you. Correct. And so I don't really buy it. It seems like it's a get out of jail card to me. But yeah, like you said, you know, to be fair to the text, we should probably study it um, and look at, look at it from this perspective of academia. And look at reactions as well. I feel like there is a lot of that from, you know, early church fathers that you can look at in terms of the Bible. I, I guess you'd have to look at yes. that you know, that's a, in terms that's of a good point. You know, yeah. as well, you know, to, to see how people reacted and interpreted the text themselves because um it changed over time as well you know i'll go into that a little bit if we have time at the end um yeah looking at fred donner's work you know he's a great historian and yeah we can touch on that later I okay guess. let's let's continue then yeah let's go and get into this okay so i guess go, going back to the main selling point monotheism right so what um islam tries to paint and tries to propose is that monotheism was always it was always something that existed, right? It was something that was there from the beginning, from the very first uh, person, you know, Adam. And it was something that God had to continuously remind people of through his prophets and messengers, correct? Right, that's basically the story that Islam paints. History, historical analysis, at least for the Israelite prophets, shows the exact opposite, that monotheism was a late invention. I like using the word bidah. Right, <laughs> Jewish Jewish bidah, you know, if if you grant me that, um, which arose out of polytheism. So how did the the story goes like this, right? And this is like based on historical analysis, and I'll go into the exact proof. So, um, 
first of all, the Israelites were a branch of Canaanites, right? So the Canaanites were, I guess, I don't know if you can call them a civilization, but they were a group of people. Um, and one of their, I guess, distinguishing features, which made them a little bit different, was their um, their belief in, I guess, a plethora of gods, right? So they had a system of gods, just as many other civilizations did, gods and goddesses. And at the head of this pantheon of gods was this god named El, E-L. Now, um, the theory goes, you know, again, we say theory just as we have a theory of, you know, gravity, etc. Um, uh, these Israelites branched off and decided to worship this god exclusively without denying the existence of other gods, right? That's key here. So it's what you call henotheism, H-E-N-O, theism, instead of uh, monotheism, right, which is what the Quran and everything else, I guess, kind of proposes. Henotheism, like I said, or monolatry is a similar term, um, basically says, yeah, okay, we we're going to worship one God exclusively, but there are other gods. And I'll give you a bit of proof of this. So from Psalm 82.1, uh, you get, God presides in the great assembly. He renders judgment above the gods. Okay. So there's no outright denial. There's an actual recognition that there are other gods that exist in the world or in some place in the universe, right? Mm -hmm. um, I'll give you another one. One thou shall not one. worship any other god but me. Before kind of me. It to, before me. Correct. Exodus you know, 21 to 3. Yeah. You know, um, Islam, I don't know if I'm right along on this, but I'll just say it. Like, I've been taught the proper meaning of la ilaha illallah is not that there's no other god. Listen to this. It's not that there's no other god but Allah, but the real meaning is there is no other god worthy of worship except Allah. Right. And yeah. I, it I makes it feel same. like when hmm. you add that, when you add that point, worthy of worship, what does that mean? There's other gods? I guess they don't mean like other gods that actually have power, but they. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're implying that no, no other gods worthy of worship except Allah. I guess, yeah, I guess on a, you know, um, what's it called? Like a textual, you know, through a textual lens, you might want to dissect that a bit. I guess, you know, it can mean different things in, like, you know, well, if you look at it, you if, you look at the, if you look at the context in an hmm. Arabia with a pantheon of gods, you know, Allah, Uzzah, and Manat, right. there were other gods being worshipped. And Correct. Allah was the jealous god that got angry when the mm -hmm. other gods were being. It seems like this is a common um, trend in history where we go from multiple gods to one god. And that yeah. one god is always a jealous god that mm -hmm. wants, wants you to get rid of the other gods. Right? Exclusive worship. That's right. Yeah, it's, and, it's a, very much a trend. I feel like there's a lot of things that get echoed in Islam. I'll, I'll touch on one little bit later on in particular, which is to do with um, the, the mount, you know, where Muhammad supposedly received revelation. Burak, yeah. Anyway, we'll, we'll, we'll get onto that. Yeah, so the on. god of war, was that El? Or Jehovah, God of War. Um, that the one that so, so Ken sorry. Armstrong says that this God, uh, the God of Israel, mm -hmm. promised victory over all of the other nations as long as he right. was only worshipped and no other God. That was that was that was El, yeah, essentially because El okay. was the God that so El was the name of God until the new God Yahweh was conflated with this <laughs> God El. Right. Okay. And yeah. then, and then, so, um, yeah, one, one, I guess, piece of evidence that I wanted to touch on for this was this, um, I guess, little element called theophorics, right? So it's when you name children based on the gods you worship. Like, look at your name there, right? Abdullah, right? As, <laughs> yeah. as you know, not, not that you yeah. worship him anymore, but obviously, the, the intention is, you know, that you name your child based on the gods that you worship. 
So if you look at the Bible, for example, this is how historians determine at which point um, name, sorry, the God of El was replaced by the name Yahweh, is that originally old, older names had um, included names like Daniel, um, Israel, and my favorite one that I want to highlight here is Ishmael, right? So these are, na those, wait, these are names of God? Those are names given to people. To oh, right. Humans. Oh, okay. Daniel means like something of God. Exactly. Yeah, ah, exactly right. Mm -hmm. I see. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then at one point you start getting names that end in Yah, right? Which capture that first part of the name Yahweh, right? So you end up with names like, wait, let me get this list up correct. Um, it's around here somewhere. Mm, interesting. Interesting me. way to interesting way to figure out history. Looking at people. Yeah. Uh, okay. Here we go. Zachariah, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, right? I'm pronouncing it differently. Zachariah, Isaiah, yeah. Jeremiah, but no. Yeah. But the point is is the same, right? Oh, so you no can look way. At, yeah. So it's it's quite an interesting so way cool. to look at it, right? Yeah, yeah. Like why why is it you know L? Um, I've actually got in one of my names, I've got the the word L as well. You know, in one oh, of yeah. my real names. You know, because my parents obviously wanted me to worship their God, um, the, the <laughs> yeah. Judeo Christian God, and uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting to to just think of it that way. But that's one tool that they use. The historians, like for, I'll name some, Christine Hayes uses to explore and to demonstrate this transition from L or conflation from L to Yahweh. Mm -hmm. And before this, of course, there were passages about conquering, etc. So um, L, Yahweh, yeah, I guess there is some sort of military, militaristic element to that God who promises, of course, yeah, um, being able to secure victory essentially in war. Definitely. That's definitely part of um, what he offers as his deal. <laughs> I, I wonder how that works because like, it doesn't actually work, but like somehow people start worshiping this God. I guess eventually there comes a time where the military success coincides with the worship of this jealous exclusive God idea. Yeah. And yeah. the meme explodes, eh? <laughs> well, that's right. I mean, and funnily enough, we'll get into this a bit, you know, but um, when things don't go your way, right, you start to question why. Why is your God letting you down? And this is a question that um, ancient writers in Israel ask themselves, right? And so they came up with all these different explanations. We'll get into what they actually came up with as a solution to this problem. Right. So, okay, one, let me see quick, what else I want to... One quick thing while you're... Yeah, sorry, uh, go on. I want to say, uh, people are saying uh, you and Apostate Aladdin are clones. <laughs> you look very similar. <laughs> and Apostate Aladdin's in the chat. He's like, uh, this guy seems like me, but better spoken with a cooler accent. <laughs> <laughs> that's um, a big compliment i, I really appreciate that <laughs> thanks a lot okay okay so yeah all you right oh, yeah, yeah let me let me get into this again um so let me just read something from um, a speech that mark s smith a historian of the old testament the hebrew bible sorry i'm um, sorry i should have made a disclaimer at the beginning so um if i use the word jew sometimes today right? It is sometimes used anachronistically, right? So Jew was, I guess, a, a concept or I guess a term that was um, extracted from the tribe of Judah, right? It was based on that. And that became obviously the center of Judaism, etc. you know, at some point. Um, not that that necessarily was always the case, right? Um, so Jew isn't used anachronistically to define ancient Israelites. But where I can, I'll use the term ancient Israelites to mean what preceded Judaism. And just to clarify, uh, people people that don't know, anachronistically means that we're kind of like backdating the term, meaning right. 
term doesn't necessarily make sense because they didn't call themselves Jews back when we we're talking. They eventually they're, they're known as Jews, but mm -hmm. early on they weren't. So that's what he means by anachronistic. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying. <clears throat> Excuse yep, me. That's no important. Worries. Yep. Okay. So Marcus Smith, right? He spoke at the Tangier Global Forum 2017. This is from a video you can look up online. Mark S. Smith. So he says, comparing the god El from the Canaanite pantheon to um, El in the Bible. Okay. They both sit in the heavenly council. They issue divine decrees. They're both depicted as old men with white beards. They're both regarded as compassionate and merciful. Furthermore, their comparisons are not only general and thematic, but also come with some very specific cultural associations. For example, El has a wife. His wife's name is Asherah. And in the Bible, the Asherah is associated with Yahweh. Right? Sorry, give me one second again. Yeah, no worries. Yeah, I've heard this before. It's interesting about God having a wife. Um, how do right. they... And, and Karen Armstrong mentioned some other things. She says when you read the Bible... Um, you can tell there's two different authors, kind of like two different gods being described, and the authors kind of describe God with a different flavor. The older author described God more anthropomorphically, meaning God wrestling, wrestling with um, Jacob and, you know, like yeah. walking in the, forest, um, in, the forest, in the garden. Garden of Eden, yeah, exactly. So you, one historian that I like to look at, the one that I've read, is Richard Friedman, um, F R I E. D-M-A-N. Um, so he looks at this source theory, right? Source criticism of the Torah in particular, right? And exactly what you're describing. So some, basically his um, proposal is, and this is, I guess, a consensus, right? This isn't something that's disputed by critical scholars of the Old Testament. They look at um, different language and terms used in the Torah, right? They see repetition of stories, right? Um, Christians who are listening, you know, are people familiar with the Bible? There are two Genesis stories. Not that, you know, you might be aware of that, but you can go look at it yourself. There's one in Genesis 1 and one in Genesis 2. And they the order of what comes first is actually different, right? So in Genesis 2, if I'm not mistaken, I didn't prepare notes for this, but man comes first, right? Man is not the final creation. In Genesis 1, he is the final creation. He's the epitome of creation. And really, it's woman, the woman who's the epitome of creation, you know, is a funny fact. But anyway, um, what I'm trying to show is that there are different sources um, that were used to compose the Torah, right? The Torah that's referred to in the Quran itself. So I'll touch on this a little bit later. But essentially, um, what you're saying is that, yeah, in some parts, in one of these sources, God is portrayed as more of a man, you know, with human figures, you know, with human, sorry, human appearances and features. Um, yeah. Features. He's jealous, yeah. you know, he's, he's actually appears physically. Whereas in, in the other source, uh, he appears more distant, right? He's more um, omnipotent, et cetera. Mm -hmm. He's like someone who you can't really contend with as much. He's more distant. Exactly. He's more unknown. He's more like a mystery, right? Exactly right. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I would say with Islam, sorry mm -hmm. for interrupting you. No, no, I would, you're right. with, I would say with Islam, we don't have, because it was written much, you know, in a much more compact, you know, amount of time, I think the... The change in Allah happened after Muhammad's death in the way the scholars interpreted him. Meaning, again, the, the influence of Greek philosophy, the Mutalizites, the right. Asharis. Basically, the, 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 because the idea of God as a man, it's it seems obvious that God is a big man in Islam. Mm -hmm. Allah. Allah has shin and legs and like the Hadith talks about him putting his leg in the hellfire and like rolling up the, the heavens with his hands and like he seems like a big man in the sky, like a little sky. Right. Guy. Yeah. 
But exactly. Muslims will say, no, 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 God's not like that, right? Salafis will say, yeah, Salafis will say it's not metaphorical. It's just we don't understand what his hands are. Mm-hmm. But the Ashari's and, you know, they'll say, no, his hands means his power. Mm, his okay. throne yeah. means his dominion. Like, right. it, it's, yeah, it's, exactly. un, it's unfalsifiable. Be- and it's also, frankly, more coherent. Because man in the sky makes no sense. Like, sure. it's, yeah. it's, it's stupid. It's just dumb. Like, to believe that... Mm-hmm. You got to be an idiot, like seriously, because all that comes down to the lowest heaven every night. What is he, a yo-yo? And he's not even a yo-yo because lowest heaven every night is always night somewhere in the world. So he's basically stuck. He's trapped. Like he's in hell. Like, Hustling. you know, in, like in like, <laughs> like in Doctor Strange where the guy goes into an infinite loop at the end and he right. traps this big monster because he keeps looping. Allah is trapped in the lowest okay. heaven because it's always night. He can never go back up. But the Hadith says he comes down. So mm-hmm. logically... This is like, and the reason why Muhammad got stuck in this is because he didn't realize about time zones, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's a flat earth thing as well, right? I mean, you, I feel like there's elements of both, you know, some people say, oh yeah, the Quran describes the earth as a kind of, you know, an egg shape, etc. You know, people propose an ostrich shape, etc. Yeah. whatever. Yeah, there's but there's also, content. there's other things that, you know, that point to a belief in a more flat earth, right? Like literally Everything. laid out like a carpet. Everything else it, does. Yeah. It is a flat earth. It's not explicit, but it's always implied. Like you said, spread right. out like a bed. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. the Qibla, how like if you have a ball and you're pointing towards a Kaaba, like you're it's like your direction you're pointing has to like zoom around the earth and go back. Right. Which makes exactly. on a flat right. earth. Okay, it makes sense. Like you point towards the, the Kaaba. Exactly. Like, you know what I'm saying? So Correct. yeah, it's not explicit, but um <laughs> yeah, that means that's that's the thing i feel like you always find remnants of older beliefs you know and they contradict and it's it's you know from a agnostic perspective it makes sense it's fine you know because we have the hand of man making changes to religion you know constantly and it's fine yes it's only when you have a you know this belief that oh no it has to make sense this all has to agree and it's all from allah it's all from the divine then you have problems and 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 frankly speaking the quran is more coherent when you think of it as written by a 7th century unlettered, whether he was actually unlettered or not, who knows, but someone from the 7th century, because the, the way it describes the world is how they believe the world. Ex- when you said we can find an explanation for all of the stories in the Quran from other sources, we can also find an explanation for this the scientific, not even scientific, I don't want to say scientific because I think that that's kind of like a misnomer, for the physical or natural descriptions in the Quran, they make a lot more sense according to the seventh century. Pillars sure. that hold up the sky that you can't mm. see, the the sun and moon going in an orbit, chasing each other, like right, like yeah. the day of judgment. The sun and moon are gonna clap. The sun and moon, it's like they're not even <laughs> close to each other. Like how right. do they like yeah. you know collide? Unless you're like some guy that looks up the sky, you're like oh sun, oh moon. exactly, correct, you know? exactly, yeah, yeah. No, I think there's plenty of evidence for that. You know, plenty of evidence to suggest that it is a product of his time. And I think any historian, honest historian that doesn't come from a theological perspective will admit that. I think you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who doesn't. Yeah. Um, And there's been scholars. There's there's a full book. I've tweeted a link to the book uh, of Muslim scholars who who said that the Quran brings forth a flat earth. Of course, nowadays, no scholar would say this unless the Salafi and Salafis, they don't care what science says. But like the fact is, this is a big problem for religion because mm-hmm. and for the Bible too. If it truly was from God, why is it that n- nobody is able to realize the true reality from mm-hmm. reading the book until 
we humans figure it out for ourselves and like, no, 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 that must be interpreted according to what we now know. Like you're right. backdating the content to fit your new understanding of the world. But that's that's idiotic. If God is telling you stuff, I mean, you should be able to tell from God's words what the real mm-hmm. true reality is. I had a Muslim tell me when I was when I left Islam and he was debating with me. He said, well, yeah. God, God never wanted Allah never wanted to correct the people's misunderstanding, scientific misunderstanding. I'm like, you're <laughs> telling me that he purposely left them in the dark right. rather than just saying. But that's not even true either, because he could still could have said it in a way that was like consistent with reality as we know it. But instead, what exactly. we have is a book that it fits the seventh century really well. But mm-hmm. now for the rest of humanity and forevermore, it's like confusing. <laughs> right? It's just Excuse like, me, yeah. yeah. You know what? I think something that's very important to realize in that, right, is that Muhammad, at least at the beginning, was an apocalyptic prophet, right? Mm. You look at the Meccan surahs, right? So this this struck me, you know, when I was reading Bart Ehrman's work on Paul, right, and on Jesus, right, and how he describes this. So he describes Paul as, um, again, some sort of apocalyptic, you know, post-Jesus prophet who's saying that, you know, time's now, okay? What does Paul say in, in the Bible? You know, he says, don't get married if, you, if you're not. You know, what's the point? Focus on, on um, preparing for Jesus' return, right? Don't do any of these things because there's no point. Everything's going to end very soon. Paul thought he was going to be alive when Jesus would return, right? It's pretty clear in Thessalonians, <laughs> Second Thess- Thessalonians, that he would be alive. Mm-hmm. And this apocalypticism survived. You know, you can see it in Islam. That's that's something I think a lot of people miss, right? And, I, you know, if yeah. you have this concept, then, you know, it doesn't really matter. This this whole thing of oh, this is, um, you know, a book for all time doesn't really apply if um, things are going to end immediately, right? Things really change in after Hijra, right? After that, and you get the whole Medinan surahs coming in about, you know, bringing in laws and things. Why would you have laws if things aren't going to end anymore, right? Again, yeah. If things aren't about to end, yeah. Although although Muhammad does say in one hadith that, you know, if there's a tree to be planted, keep planting it even the day of judgment comes, which is, which is a nice thing to say. But right. at, the, at the same time, we see him like literally panicking when the eclipse mm. came the eclipse came and he would get scared the hadith says his face would change color right. and he would start praying and he would say pray until allah removes the eclipse muslims love to say that well he also said don't you know because muhammad's male son ibrahim ibrahim died and and people and then the eclipse came and people said oh my right, god yeah, it, yeah. It, and he said no no it didn't eclipse because of the death of this guy so they're like oh look that makes him a true prophet like he said mm-hmm. one thing right. He must be a true prophet that was speaking everything right from the beginning. And it's uh-huh. it's so ridiculous that they would say that without even realizing that, well, maybe he realized the next week some other king's son's gonna die mm-hmm. and or another prophet's king, you know what I mean? Like right, it, you know, um, but but regardless, the point is you're right. Muhammad acted like terrified of the day of judgment, like it was gonna come Correct. any day now, any exactly. day is coming. And that's how we preach. And, and I think that's one way cult leaders keep the tribes or the, the cult under control is they constantly preach the end is coming. Um, the fear. I, I forget. I always get confused between Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, but they had the same issue. 1953 or something, there was this big thing coming and everyone had to be prepared. And a bunch of them I sold all of the belongings. Of course, it came and went. Nothing happened. Yeah. And then again, they set another date, 19, whatever, 71. Now this time, is the day of judgment is coming. Again, mm-hmm. it never came. 
um, it's just like it's an easy way to control people is just keep them scared, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah you're right. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's still explored today. Um, it's still exploited today, I should say. Um, yeah, with with cult leaders and things, and like it's funny. I never drew that, you know. I guess similarity between cult leaders today and Muhammad, but anyway, there's that's there's, a very interesting parallel. There is, you know, studying cults. Mm -hmm. It's like you will see the parallels once you leave right, right. Islam behind. Yeah. I'm not like again. We've talked. I've talked about this before. I'm not saying all Muslims are in a cult. I don't like to say that. I don't think it makes sense to say that. I, it depends sure. on from Muslim to Muslim, and mm -hmm. depends on the surroundings and the sheikh and the teachings. What they're taught. Do they isolate themselves from others? Are they told not to talk to other people? Are they not allowed to read other books? Because there's different types of Muslims, and many Muslims they just you know they're just Muslim. Or they're not really in a cult but some muslims like me i was more in like a cult because i didn't have okay. many non-muslim friends i was not reading any books you know it depends on person, mm -hmm. person but the point i'm trying to make is studying cults you will be like you'll see the same thing that you, that yeah. you were taught it's it's the same like all cult mm -hmm. leaders use the same mind control techniques and it's it's sad that you know we we, we fell for that and mm -hmm. you know but thankfully we got out so yeah yeah good for you i mean that's all you can say, right? At the end, you realize what the truth was. And yeah, we've come to now a conclusion that it's really all, yes, man-made. <laughs> I think that's that's what I like to say. You know, I don't like to like slander too much and say it's, you know, rubbish or et cetera, but yeah. it is basically man-made. And you, because the fact is you can point everything back to earlier texts. That's one of my biggest, I guess, yep. convincing points, you know, when when I when I try to rationalize everything. Yeah, but yeah. Muslims will say, or, you know, they'll say, well, you can point to earlier texts because it's a continuation of the same message. Right, but what's funny, you know, this is one of what well, this is one of the inconsistencies. Another one of the many inconsistencies of Islam. Muslims love to quote Bar Uman, don't they? When it comes to talking about the corruption, you know, of of the gospel, the Bible, right? yeah, or the gospels or the Bible, you know, they love it. But when he talks about, for example, so I've got a book here. I can read you. I can read a quote actually, as I discussed before. Let me just read a little quote. So this is from the book called Forged by Bar Uman. Sorry, here, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? So this is. For me, it's page 237. So from the, he talks about here, the infancy gospel of Thomas, right? So he goes at roughly the time that the product gospel of James was starting to circulate. This was around the second century. Another fabricated account of Jesus appeared. Key word, fabricated. Today known as the infancy gospel of Thomas. Driving this narrative is a question that has been asked by numerous Christians throughout the ages. If Jesus was a miracle working son of God as an adult, what was he like as a child? The infancy gospel contains stories about Jesus between the ages of five and 12. Let me skip ahead. So the account begins with Jesus as a five-year-old playing by the stream near his home in Nazareth. The young Jesus gathers some of the water of the stream into a pool and orders it to become pure. It does so and by his word alone. Jesus then stoops down and forms 12 birds out of mud. This is a forgery, Christian forgery from the 6th and 2nd century, right? So even though it has a parallel, you know, and, and um, Muslims might say, same source, you know, Allah. Well, you have a historian who you quote, who you love to quote, saying that it's a forgery, right? It's complete, completely man-made. You know, um, but they'll also say that, but, um, okay, well, that doesn't really work here, but I'll, <laughs> I'll tell you this, this mm -hmm. it doesn't work here. But they'll okay. say when... When Bert Ehrman says any, sometimes this happened recently when he was on Muhammad Hijabs uh, and him were talking. Mm -hmm. They're like, yeah, he's an atheist. What do you expect him to say? G like Jesus is a prophet. Jesus is God. Like, exactly. That's the that's the comeback. Right. What do you say to that? Okay. Um, 
Well, I, look, I guess like my, I don't really get into, you know, theology <laughs> too much. You know, I only yeah. try and show how beliefs evolved. You know, I only like to look into how it yeah. happened and how people, I guess, looked at it and interpreted it and came up with these things. Mm -hmm. So um, not only is it echoed there, I believe it's also echoed in the other one, the um, Gospel of Pseudo-Matthew, mm -hmm. um, which is on the other page. I'm just trying to like read off it right now. But, um, you know, in that book, it, the, the point is this. Sorry, let me get back to making it clear. So there are countless examples mm -hmm. of this right it's yes. it's not just this there's the story of you know jesus um asking i think it was jesus or mary in the Quran, asking the palm tree to bend down right and provide yeah. food yeah that's yeah, found yeah, in yeah, yeah, text yeah. as well yeah oh. so that's that's from another you know pseudo forged text per by ehrman's example you know the gospel of pseudo matthew so this point is a very strong point and the the response that he's an atheist makes no sense because if he's an atheist why would he say this one story is made up and this one is true? Because he has no, he is not vested. He's not in this game. He has no skin. He's in the not game, vested. So. Exactly. And yeah, I think so one he of the can biggest say things, Yep. Sorry. Is, is, is that, um, he's not attacking Islam. <laughs> no, he has, he doesn't have Islam in mind at all. No. He doesn't even have Christians in mind so much because Christians <laughs> today don't believe these things. Right. He's just making yeah. historical point. He's just including this fun fact. Really to me, it sounds like a fun fact. You know, in this very important book called Forge, certain chapters attack the, or I guess not attack, address, you mm -hmm. know, the authorship of the Bible and how some of those books are forged. You know, we're forging yeah. different people's names. But these are just little extras that he's included there. This shocked me. This is actually what got me started on my journey towards agnosticism and atheism. Oh, yeah. This reading this, you know, seeing that this was an actual forgery, right? And this is a story echoed in the Quran. This is an eye opener for me. Yeah. And it, I hope it is for people as well. Mm. It, it, it is an eye-opener for me, too, that every single story, when I looked into it, it ended up being some sort of, like, the point is that these stories were invented or fabricated to prove a theological point. Right. There was a certain sect of Christianity, you can clarify if you know the details, that wanted Jesus to be speak as a baby, so they invented this book, right? That doesn't mm -hmm. mean that Jesus was actually son of god in like as it is in john because that was also made for a theological point that jesus Correct. you can see like but Ehrman makes a point that christians don't agree with which is that you can see this low christology to high christology thing mm -hmm. meaning in the in the in mark there's a low christology where jesus becomes god when he's executed whereas when he in john he's just god in the beginning he's just god like jesus From is god, right? yeah yeah exactly yeah, it increase like it, it gets higher and higher Mm -hmm. Christians try to argue that's not true, and they'll say, "No, no, it's all the same." In John, mm -hmm. in Mark, Jesus is always the same; it's consistent. Right. <laughs> they're just trying to—they're just showing you different aspects of Jesus's personality. That's always the reputation, exactly. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know. And before you respond, I just want to take a few comments, if that's okay, and then we'll continue. Yeah, yeah, go for it. Okay, awesome. So just want to say thank you, P, to the donation. Uh, your your jizya slash donation. Appreciate it. Um, people keep saying you look like Aladdin. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, uh, but Ehrman said the Islamic story of Jesus was taken from the Gnostic gospel of Barnabas, which came 200 years after Jesus, which also a forgery. Have you heard this before? Uh, I haven't heard that specifically, no. I have to look into it. But yeah, I know the Gospel of Barnabas is definitely something that um, Muslims like to point to, but it's really a forgery, yeah. That I yep. know for sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, shout out to Myth Vision Podcast, Derek. Nice to have you here. Wow. I've never seen more dishonest tactics than what I see with radical Muslim apologists. Some of them are actually saying Dr. Ehrman sided <laughs> with Islam. Yeah. There has been a clip which has been a thorn in my side. 
I, I have to thank Muhammad Hijab. He gave us Yasu Qadi mm. holes in the narrative. He's yeah. now giving us Bud Ehrman's holes in the narrative. Before this clip, this interview with Bud Ehrman and Muhammad Hijab came out, there was a clip, a very old clip of like um, Ehrman being jumped on in like some coffee shop or something with a Muslim. Oh, and yeah. they asked him this question about the Quran or something. And he said, he gives some sort of vague answer. And they're like saying, look, he's saying the Quran's preserved. The Quran's preserved. <laughs> but he wasn't saying that. And it, it was right. like a point in my side because people are using Bud Ehrman to try to say the Quran's been preserved. No, he's not saying that. Mm -hmm. He's not he's saying not an ex that. And and he's not he's an, not expert an expert on the, on the meta. Either. No, he's not exactly. But yeah. the things he says, the the same meta, like tact, um, the same things that he's describing about the Bible can equally be applied to the Quran. This thing about so. scoring theological points. He he has a video where he talks about this this idea of like, you know, broken telephone. This like, what? and he says this. He said there's a misconception that you know. Um, in 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 societies that have oral transmission that it's mm -hmm. more accurate he said it's not no, like this is exactly. a mis misconception and we can see that in the hadith the hadith are like a mess right like it's it's Absolutely just like a it yeah it's just a big mess yeah i watched this um scholar recently i've forgotten his name but um he's he's quite honest he's from P pakistan he was on um a channel giving an interview just about the preservation of the quran so his conclusion is that are you talking about mufti abu Layth? mufti abu Layth. abu Layth. Maybe Probably Mufti, his channel, his channel. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Right? It's his, his, the host was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I thought that was a good interview. You know, went for two hours and um, this this guest, he basically explained that there were scribal errors. You know, the, the way Muslims they picture, you know, they depict it is as if there were none, as if God himself was like actually controlling people's hands as they wrote and no mistakes were ever made. And every single copy that existed ever has no mistakes in it and it's exact same as the original one which is completely false we know that you know and muslims know that and it's in the hadith itself right it's in the hadith and not only in any hadith it's in um sahih mm -hmm. right sahih al-bukhari for example you know the sahih hadiths claim these things and i feel like he explains that early muslims didn't have a real problem with these kind of scribal errors or having different mushafs etc you know anyway that's we're going off you know a little talking, bit, but yeah talking about things that Muhammad did right and wrong. One of the things he did wrong, which was complete L, taking the L completely, not compiling the Quran during his life. That has got to be the biggest mistake. Mm -hmm. And of course, one thing that Uthman or Abu Bakr got right was compiling it together because right. that actually solved and burning all the, you know, the variant copies. Of course, the variant copies, they still exist. So he wasn't able mm -hmm. to get rid of them completely. But yeah. that actually helped the Muslim movement because they can continue. They continue with this net. And until recently, man, things have changed so quickly in the last, I don't know, couple of years. Until mm -hmm. recently, we had people like Yasir Qadi still spouting this nonsense about letter for letter, dot for dot. Right, Yusuf, right. Yusuf Estes is not a scholar, but he, I heard him as a Muslim saying the same thing and I believed him. He's like, mm -hmm. not one letter, not one dot has been changed from the Quran, which is completely false according to a Muslim even Islamic sources say that's not exactly. the case, right? Correct. So they, they, like you said, they were okay with this idea of variant readings and exactly. all of these things. Now, of course, it, things are becoming much more public. I think mm -hmm. academia is getting popularized, and and people are seeing what what the reality is, which is amazing, which is just fantastic. Exactly right. I think we're getting back to what it originally was seen as, you know, which is that yeah, exactly. There were no problems with these variant readings, with you know, these different even copies, you know. So one of my favorite hadith to to quote to people is Sahih Al Bukhari five thousand five, 
Mm-hmm. Right. Which one is that? Yep. So it's where um, or supposedly Umar, right, is, is retelling, um, is explaining how they rely on a different version of the Quran than the version that Ubay ibn Qab had. Right. Ibn I don't know Qab, if you yeah, ever yeah, heard yeah. of it. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Ubay so Codex. He had a, the Ubay Codex was different. Right. And they had no problem admitting this, right? This is a big, big admission. And he made it, you know, it's not only some random guy, it's all my, right? One of the caliphs, one of the caliphs. So, um, yeah, anyway, that's just one proof within the text. You know, it's not something that Western scholars are trying to like, you know, dig at. This is within your own sources. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Mm. So going back to um, Bible and history of monotheism. Uh, where right. Were we? Yeah. Um, I was getting up to, so I read a quote from Mark S. Smith. Can you give me a second? Let me take a quick mm-hmm. water break if you don't yep, mind. Yep, yep, yep. While you're doing that, let me just go through the comments. Okay, uh, I'm just cool. going to highlight this one comment, which was interesting. Mm-hmm. The reason Muhammad did not compile the Quran is because he thought the world will end and there was no need for it. There does seem to, it does seem to be the case that Muhammad did not care what happened after he died. Like he didn't leave anyone in charge explicitly. He didn't uh, compile the Quran as a book. <laughs> Like I said, he took the L. Like he, he didn't do a good job. He did. A, he had only one job to do, to be a prophet, leave mm-hmm. his community with some guidance. He didn't even do that well. <laughs> Muhammad dies. It's big. There's chaos everywhere. Um, yeah, that that's, you know, enough about that. Let's let's get, let's get back to the the main discussion. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Just one little point on that. I think yep. that you know I don't like to discuss theology too much, but if mm-hmm. you really, if you have an all-seeing, uh, you know, om- omnipotent, omniscient God, you know, who knows the future, then really you have to ask why he didn't plan properly, right? Why why he left it, you know, all up in the air, especially for the next leader. That that was just amazing. I think. So, but um, when you say you don't like yeah. to discuss theology, what what do you focus on then? Just like the history, the anthropology. History. Oh. Yeah. So um, I, I guess the only time I touch on you know theology. Mm-hmm. is when it's you know something that i guess you can show an evolution of theology of thinking uh-huh. you know within the text so again that's more history you know that's what i like to kind of look at because i think it's more solid and um more convincing personally for me but maybe for others you know looking at theology and the, the flaws and the holes in it perhaps are more convincing convincing mm-hmm. for others yeah yep all right yeah. so um i want to just uh do a plug Give me one second. Okay. Well, yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll do right. it. Yeah. So give, if you can just give me one second. Cool. Just to bring it up on the screen. I'm going to do a plug for your TikTok here. So share. Oh, awesome. Screen. And yeah, next time we're going to do this again, we're going to have actual slides. So that'll be great. Okay. Yeah. I just want to make sure I share the right window here. Uh, is it this one? Oh, actually, I'll just do one tag. It'll be easier. Actually, no. Okay. I think I got it. Boom. Can we see this? Oh yeah, there we go. All right. So if you awesome. guys would like like to check out um, Al Mualim on TikTok, here's some great content on there. Are you on YouTube as well? I am. Yeah. So my channel's go, called um, Questioning God. It's pretty okay. new. I've only got two videos up there, but yeah. Okay. Are you, are you planning yeah. to work on it at all? Yes, of course. Big time. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So I will add the link in the description for those of you who are interested and would like to subscribe. Do subscribe to Al Mualim's channel. His content is great. Obviously, TikTok, they're like kind of short, but there's good content on there. And if you enjoyed this conversation, I would love to see you guys subscribe to his TikTok and also his YouTube. I don't have the link handy right now, but I'll, I'll put it right after. Um, one more thing. If those, those of you who are enjoying the show, please do consider joining my Patreon uh, the link is there in the description as well. Um, any support that you give is helpful, and I, I most appreciate it. Alrighty, so back to the topic. Awesome. Okay, so one little 
I guess, piece of evidence that I want to kind of look at is um, something from Marcus Smith again. So, right, so looking at how monotheism evolved from polytheism. So I just want to read a quote. It's a bit long, but bear with me, right? There's a lot of good content in here. So it's from the book called Origins of Biblical Monotheism. So it goes, um, indeed, the Bible hardly provides an objective or complete picture of Israel's religion because of significant editorial selection. So going back to that point we were talking about, about before, the final editors of the Bible made um, changes. They were monotheists, so they made changes to the original text, right, which were already polytheistic, but they gave it a monotheistic flavor. So it's the exact opposite of what the Quran describes, right? You know, the Quran describes that we went from a pure monotheistic message and that later it was corrupted into polytheism. The exact opposite is what historians claim. Let me continue. Fortunately, biblical criticisms of polytheism preserve some vestiges of information about polytheism into the late monarchic period. Furthermore, most scholars believe that inscriptional evidence of Yahweh and his Asherah was pro has provided extra biblical evidence for polytheism. Iconographic representation of what may be from an Iron Age Judean goddess and archaeological evidence of female pillar figurines dating to the same period have been added to this reconstruction. Last paragraph. Even if we do not know of the biblical references to other deities, this extra biblical evidence alone suggests a polytheistic situation in Israel. In fact, the biblical critiques of polytheism suffice to show that various forms of polytheism represented the range of religious devotion to the cult of the national god. So basically that's like what Bart Ehrman shows, you know, as well. He argues about Christianity is that you wouldn't make laws about anything unless people were already committing those crimes or committing, you know, these kinds of sins, right? So this, you know, kind of um, polemic, you know, against poly, um, polytheism only existed because it was something that was, something was occurring, right? Similar to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm. So last few words. Um, in other words, the later dominant paradigm of a single national God with divine workers was only one version of devotion available in Iron Age Israel. Only later was the process of telescoping divinity into a single divine king and his servants completed. So in short, monotheism is a late invention, right? According to historians. Yeah. And that's another... Another issue with Islam, because like you said, Islam claims that it was it was corrupted. Monotheism was corrupted and then it became polytheistic. But when we study ancient religions, when we look at the actual Bible and we look at pre-biblical -pre religion, it's it was always polytheistic. It seems like human beings exactly. seem, seem to, you know, talking about fitra. Fitra is the, the natural inclination of humans. It seems like right. we're naturally yes. polytheistic. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, exactly. You know, we, what, you know like, our ancestors... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, go, you know, go ahead. I was just going to say, why is it that like everywhere we look, we see polytheism and it's just the, the monotheism has to like come with a sword and crush the polytheism. The polytheism yeah. seems to be just there everywhere. You know what I mean? Basically, I think that's that's more natural. In my opinion, you know, you can't explain something like rain or thunder or something. You think, oh, there must be some sort of divine being out there controlling that. Mm, there must be something controlling the river, the flow of the river that happens, you know, not too far from my house down here. I'm talking about thousands of years ago, right? How our ancestors would have interpreted these I guess, um, yeah, I guess phenomena, natural phenomena. Yeah. Basically, they just gave it God's names. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a very human thing behind this. It's oh, the yeah. um, attributing agency is a very human thing to do. And there's, a, mm -hmm. there's an evolutionary reason for this. Okay. If you're walking in, walking at night and there's two, you, there's a noise, there's two possibilities. The noise is an animal that's going to eat you, 
And all the noise is nothing. It's just nothing, right? It's just like you just hearing okay. things, or it's just like rustling in the bushes of wind. If you get it wrong, you're dead. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's a tendency towards like attributing agency to things that don't have it. It's because it's better you think it's a lion, or you, you're mm. a little bit scared the guy's gonna stab you. Some guy is walking in the you're walking in the you know at dark at, at night or whatever, and the guys you you think it's better you think it's someone and be wrong. Then you just you know, and so over the mil over, I guess millions of years or hundreds of thousands of years, we've we've had we have these tendencies that mm. have evolutionary reasons, and one of them is to attribute agency to non like living things, right? And so yeah, yeah, the idea yeah. of God, I mean, it's it, you know, when when people try to use this not and Jordan Peterson actually brought this up with Muhammad Muhammad Hijab brought it up with Jordan Peterson where he said you know, fitra and believe in God. Not, and Jordan Peterson's like, yeah, that's interesting way of, it's an interesting way of proving God or whatever. I think it's actually a dumb way of proving God because evolution tells us why. It's because of survival. It's a survival mm -hmm. mechanism. It doesn't make it true. And it's a no. naturalistic fallacy because just because something is that way doesn't make that a good thing. You know what I mean? Sure, sure. Yeah, exactly right. No, I agree. That's that's fascinating. I, I never thought of it that way. But um, yeah, I feel like attributing, you know, you even hear of things like, you know, it's a bit of a tangent. But when you, you know, see something that may have a slightly human face, like when you look up at the clouds, for example, you know, you see things there, you form images in your head, you try and make sense of it in a way that like, I guess connects with you, you know? Okay, um, bonus yeah. points to whoever in the chat says the, the word for that. There's a word for that. There is a word for it. Yeah, I can't. Come on, guys. Someone, somebody tell me. Not Pandora's box. That's not the word. No, no, that's totally wrong. Okay, we'll keep talking, but someone tell yeah. me what the name is. The name is for this this thing about seeing faces and seeing uh, patterns in random noise. Anyways, we'll continue mm -hmm. talking Okay. Uh, while we wait for that. So, um, look, I just want to drop a few extra names in there of um, people's work. So I've already mentioned Richard Friedman. I've already mentioned Mark S. Smith. I want to mention one more. Christine Hayes, H-A- Y-E-S, Paradolia. Is that it? Yes, that's uh, the okay. word I awesome. was looking awesome. for. There we go. Learn something it's today. spelled wrong, but that's fine. It's that's that's the that's the word Paradolia. Uh, so huh. okay. not not anthropomorphic. Anthropomorphic means like you're kind of yeah, you're giving human like expert. This is a very human thing again. It yeah, doesn't yeah, it mean is. there's actually faces in the sky. Exactly. Exactly <laughs> right? right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Smoking magic mushrooms. <laughs> okay anyways continue yeah so you're, so you're dropping some interest so by the way when we're done yeah. if you can actually send me a list of these names and the books oh, okay. i'll actually yeah. put them in the description yeah perfect yeah um christine hayes has a good lecture series it's easy to watch she's got a great speaking voice she's a really great lecturer so h-a-y-e-s um from yale uni yeah it's um in introduction to the old testament is what it's called 24 part series I've watched it three times. It's really, really interesting. Oh, wow. Okay, so enough about monotheism, but um, I'll, I'll touch on her work again in the next section. So I want to talk about the afterlife now. Um, so as the after, you know, as we know, anyone who's familiar with the Bible, you know, will know that in the Old Testament, hell and heaven are non-existent as forms of punishment and reward, period. You know, there's basically none. There's basically zero mention of it. What is mentioned instead is a place called Sheol, right? S-H-E-O-L, which is a neutral underworld where everybody goes, right? There's no reward and punishment system really until a later period. Sorry, I should I should um, clarify what I, what I just said. So in the earliest text, 
there's only mention of Sheol. It's only in the later text where you see this kind of apocalyptic thinking that, you know, there's going to be a reward and punishment, but it's nothing like what's described in the Christian text or the Quranic text. Uh, you know, early where... text means like the Talmud or the Torah? or Looking what, at what... the Torah, specifically okay. the Torah. Yeah. So, um, and even in, you know, uh, the book of Job, you know, um, Ayyub, talking, you know, in Arabic. <laughs> um, Arabic speak. Yeah, Ayyub. Yeah. In, Ayyub, in, in his, in the book that's titled after him, um, I'm going to mention Satan in a, in a few minutes, but um, Satan is really someone who is an angel of God who exists within the heavenly council and has no power besides what God grants him. And he lives with God, essentially, like, you know, he's in heaven. But anyway, we'll, we'll touch on that in a second. Can, I, I want to talk about that. I, 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 I really want to talk yeah. about that. Um, Saeed uh, okay. Reynolds. Do you know yeah. Saeed Reynolds? Professor no. Gabriel Saeed Reynolds, he's a Christian academic. Okay. He speaks about Islam, writes about Islam. He mm. has a he has an article on Satan. It, it's it's amazing. I wanted to make a video on this, but mm. I never got a chance. Yeah. I think this is another mistake in Islam. Satan is a an angel. He's not a jinn. In Islam, mm. what happens is he's okay. Allah says to the angels, says to the angels. Allah says to the angels, bow down to Adam, and they all bow right, down right. except Iblis. Now, yeah. what what does that imply? That they're all angels. Iblis exactly. Is an angel. But then later on, mm. Quran says Iblis was a jinn. Right. What right. the hell is going on here? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Definitely a contradiction. So what what they say. He was a special <laughs> that was among the angels. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. I've but this there's before. evidence right. from like uh, Said Reynolds has actually an article that that shows that like this, mm -hmm. like again, this is like a copy paste mistake. This is like you're trying to take an idea from another story, mm -hmm. you bring it into your story, and you don't. I, I don't know why he changed him into a. What, what was the point of making him into into a gin? Anyways, I have no idea. Maybe that's just like the. The local flavor of Arabia, you know, we can need some jinns in the story, man. You can't just have angels, like you know, because they they believed in jinns and stuff. And right, I don't know, I don't know why he ended up being a jinn. I think like... I think the only explanation you have of that is a theological one, right? Because supposedly angels can't sin, right? Yeah. They can't actually turn against yeah. the Creator, whereas okay. jinns can. Jinns have like I guess that autonomy that um, us humans have. That's the only thing I can think of in terms that of makes you sense. Know, why why he would have been labeled that way. But um, Satan, yeah, look. Again, um, looking at the oldest text. So this is consistent throughout the Old Testament. Unlike, sorry, what I, I made a mistake before when I, I misspoke when I said that um, there's no heaven and hell in the Old Testament. There is, but it's a, it's a later edition, and I will touch on that later. Oh, yeah. But so Satan, um, in the Old Testament, so one book that I really like to um, point to is uh, The Origin of Satan, right, by Elaine Pagels, historian. So essentially, it's this development, right? In the Old Testament, he's barely mentioned. Let me just read this little bit that she has here in her book. So it's this book, Origin of Satan. But but Ehrman mentions this too. Right. Yeah, he has a book called Heaven and Hell. I'm sure he touches on it there. Uh, so she goes, she says, rereading biblical and extra biblical accounts of angels, I learned, first of all, what many scholars have pointed out. That while angels often appear in the Hebrew Bible, Satan, along with other fallen angels or demonic beings, is virtually absent. Right? So Satan starts off as essentially um, 
something that is just a, a blockage, right? It's haseitan just means something that is an obstacle in your path, right? It has many different other, you know, definitions, but one of them is that. I want to read this quote from um, one of Christine Hayes's lectures about this. So she says, and it's in one of my videos actually on my TikTok page. So she says, I say the Satan deliberately, the Satan. The Satan is certainly not the devil. There's no such notion in the Hebrew Bible. The phrase the Satan occurs four times in the Hebrew Bible, in Job, in Numbers 22, and in Zechariah 3. The Satan is simply a member of the divine council, one of God's minions whose function it, functions it is to investigate affairs here on earth and to act as a kind of prosecuting attorney. He needs to bring evildoers to justice. And it's only later in Jewish and especially Christian thought that the term loses the definite article, the, and becomes a proper name, capital S, Satan, for an enemy or opponent of God. This is huge, right? This is, I think, something that needs to be really emphasized. This is a Jewish or a Christian bidah, again, right? And it's something that um, Islam adopted, you know, in explicit terms, something that Muhammad incorporated into his newfound religion. Um, without realizing, you know, that really this is an invention that came later. The earliest, you know, earliest prophets, you could say, um, if you talk about, for example, Moses, wouldn't have believed in this at all. This wasn't a concept that they really concerned themselves with, Satan. I want to um, just quote, lead this, I think it's interesting. The Valley of Gehenna was a place in Israel where child sacrifice was enacted. Gehenna, mm -hmm. Jahannam was utilized as an analogy for hell, as the valley was constantly ablaze for child sacrifices. Um, right. I've heard about this Valley of Gehenna. Me too. I've heard of the valley for sure. I don't know about the child sacrifice things. I don't. But, um, I never heard that. Part it is either, a, yeah. it's a geographic location. Yeah, somewhere like you know here on Earth, and yeah, yeah. that's absolutely right. Um, this question from Jojo is saying the hell description in the Quran came from the Christian forefathers. I think that's what Bart Ehrman says. He came, it came from this apocalyptic thinking when Jesus became, you know, Christianity was formed. It, it's not part of Judaism. And if you ask Jews, they don't really believe, like you said, they don't really believe in hell. They believe in this shadow world thingy, right? Um, I don't even depends really on who you ask. It. Okay. Depends on who you ask, but I, I've heard different scholars say different things. So um, Jewish scholars, uh, some of them say that hell is just temporary. So even someone like Hitler would eventually get out of hell. Um, you, you know, you hear different things like that, right? But mm -hmm. at the same time, you know, if you look at what I like to see, again, from a historical perspective, that's why I don't get involved in like theology now, because theology now is anachronistic right? Again, that term, it projects modern beliefs or later beliefs onto older texts and tries to make sense of them, right? Using this new lens. But if you look at the oldest texts as historians do, the ones I've just mentioned, um, they show that hell, Satan was basically a non-existent, you know, it wasn't something that anyone concerned themselves with. Their concern was this life, right? Living righteous lives here because, um, yeah, that's just what God told them to do. Essentially, mm -hmm. that was the part, part of the covenant. God would protect them. He would be their personal God and um all they had to do was be good and follow his laws yeah mm -hmm. yeah yeah interesting these are these are fantastic references i'm i'm enjoying this a lot i'm glad and i definitely um, want to read some more yeah. on this once once this is all over i'm going to get some of those books you've recommended for sure for sure yeah i, I can't recommend them enough um, <laughs> they, they've changed my life like i said you know <laughs> yeah um so yeah, like one thing I want to point out, so just to give specific quotations, right? So um, without doubt, right, we know the Quran, any Muslims who know the Quran says that hell, you know, Jahannam is a real place. Um, not only that though, right? Something's more specific, it's a bit more specific than that. Quran, Surah 87, verse 11, okay? From 11 onwards, it says, but it will be shunned 
by the most wretched. So talking about the message that Muhammad's bringing, who will burn in the greatest fire where they will not be able to live or die. Successful indeed are those who purify themselves, remember the name of their Lord and pray. But you deniers only prefer the life of this world, even though the hereafter is far better and more lasting. This is the crucial part. This is certainly mentioned in the earlier scriptures, the scriptures of Abraham and Moses. Historically speaking, that's inaccurate. Right? <laughs> there is no heaven or hell. There is no hereafter in the scriptures of Moses. Hmm. Sorry, Muhammad. It's not there. <laughs> what would be considered the the books of Moses? Genesis? I Genesis don't know, through to Deuteronomy. You know, that's, I guess, the... The believer's perspective, but um, of course, historians don't say that uh, Moses had any hand in it. You know, maybe he did have some hand in it, but really it was a compilation of a few sources. They say four separate sources um, that a final editor just put together and made into the Torah. Yeah, because the book is supposed to be written by Moses, but it's talking in like, what, what was the issue? It, it speaks about his death. He speaks <laughs> about example. his death. Exactly. In Deuteronomy, before Deuteronomy ends, he speaks of his death and what, what the Israelites did after his death. So, you know, obviously he wasn't writing it. And that was supposedly what sparked, you know, this whole, um, I guess, inquest, you know, this whole uh, research into why, into who wrote the Torah, because obviously, you know, he died in it. So how's he supposed to finish it? Yeah. 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 Um, just a, a bunch of people are clarifying uh, just... Um, just quickly, quickly. Mm -hmm. uh, Gehenna was a place where the, the Jewish people burnt the garbage, not the place of child sacrifice. So Garbage, yeah, okay. Whatever the case is, I yeah, we're not making a historical point here. Just referencing, this is just, <laughs> we didn't have, a didn't have a chance to look into it. This is like live comments mm -hmm. from the channel. So. Okay, okay. No, thanks for clarifying that. Yeah, that's that's very important. Um, okay, so I want to read one one extra quote, right, mm -hmm. about, um, about the afterlife, okay, just to solidify this last point, and we can move on to apocalypticism, I think. Mm -hmm. So this is by Christine Hayes from one of her lectures. So she says, so a belief in a person, sorry, in personal immortality, a belief in the general resurrection of the dead, these arise from a negative view of this world as a place where justice cannot be obtained. So apocalyptic writers examined the world they lived in. They drew the conclusion that reward and punishment were going to be made in an afterlife. They were certainly not doled out in this life as Israel suffered. And this is a marked break from the general conviction of the Hebrew Bible that human life is limited to this world and that the fundamental concern of humans and God is morality in this life and not immortality in another. That last bit's like, I love it. Mm -hmm. But um, I think that's so important to realize, you know, just to really hone in, like, you know, that, you know, these are historians saying these things. I'm not making this up. The afterlife was a concept that came later. The earliest prophets did not believe or care for this at all. So yeah, that's it for the afterlife for, from what I wanted to quote from and what I wanted to, I guess, discuss. And we can move on to apocalypticism a little bit. I think that's the more interesting part of this discussion. Yeah, I, it just goes to show you that like reading books and not just reading random books, but reading books from experts, reading books from academics, this is the way to the truth. This is the way to enlightenment. This is the way to, to get out of dogma. And to, yep. to me... I think academia is a huge thorn in the side of Islam. And I think that it's going to kill the dogma. Dogma yes. cannot survive academia, no. which is why Yasakadi, Norman Ali Khan, all of these guys have said that, well, Yasakadi said about himself, like this guy's a scholar, studied in Medina for so many years. And he was, he was not, he did not leave unscathed. He was yeah. affected by what he studied at Yale. 
Noman Ali Khan said that he knows many Muslims that studied at Harvard or whatever, mm-hmm. MIT, whatever. Like they 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 go and they study Islam, and they don't leave Muslim. They they're not Muslim anymore because they can't. Exactly. Your dogma doesn't survive because that's why it's dog. Like I don't know if that's why it's dogma, but like it's not rational. It's not based on evidence. It's just Correct. a blind belief. And once once you face the truth, you can't look at it the same way ever again. It's just not possible. I know one guy that works for. Uh, that works with Noman Ali Khan, Dana Institute. And when I was uh, initially leaving Islam, going through that phase, I had people mm-hmm. contact me, try to help me because I, I used to run a website and people knew me and stuff. Okay. And so I was hooked up, uh, connected with this guy. And this guy was emailing back and forth. And I asked him, like, how do you, he said, he sent me this long email and he's like, I had problems with the stories in the Quran. So I left okay. Islam. And I like the same issues I had, the stories all made up. And then I said, well, what happened? Because obviously you're Muslim and you're doing this thing and you're trying to help me come back to Islam. He's like, I decided that I would rather be Muslim and believe the stories and metaphors than not be Muslim. And I was like, okay. I didn't, I, I didn't, to me, that's not coherent, but that was his take. And I mm-hmm. asked him, I said, can I publish this emails? I would love to share this with others. He's like, no. But like, the point is, there's this guy that's involved in Dawa that when he started reading about the stories and the, the, the sources for these stories and all of these things, it just took away his faith because you can't right. you can't keep your faith because now you realize where the stories came from and mm-hmm. it's no longer possible to see it the same way. So he, he became Muslim again, but he's not he's not the same type of Muslim that he was before. Yeah. Right? He's right. he's now a metaphor. I don't even know what, what type of Muslim that is because the Quran again it claims to be telling the actual stories it's exactly. not just like it's not it's not aesop's fables of the the tortoise and the hare these are like supposedly things that actually happened right so mm-hmm. exactly they're supposedly historical events so you know we should yes. be able to find evidence for them like we said yes. before you know this this injil that jesus was carrying around you know in his arm where is it you know there's no evidence for many many other things um yeah we won't get into it this time but um basically it, it lacks backing by historical evidence and you know historians find you know, the, the best thing about this is, right, is that these historians, this is why I like looking at the Old Testament and, like, I guess, um, scholars of the Hebrew Bible and just that period in general, they don't attack Islam. They don't have Islam in mind at all, right? <laughs> but it, it implicitly, you know, it affects the the fundamental beliefs, you know, the core beliefs of Islam. Um, and just, like, you know, critically, right? It's just, it's just brutal. And, you know, ironically, um, when people ask me, people ask me all the time, I mean, it's getting kind of old, but... On TikTok, you know, I'm kind of new on TikTok. So I, I get the same questions I've dealt with like for so many years. Why do you only attack Islam? We're not only attacking Islam. We're looking at all of the religions in a, mm-hmm. in a very wholesome way. And, you know, in in the context, a lot of the things I say about Islam would apply to all the other religions too. I'm an atheist. Everybody knows that. Um, but in especially in your case, it's it it's it's even more explicitly, uh, you know, a global issue with all the Abrahamic religions, right? Correct. Yeah. Um, I feel like, you know, without, um, I guess, without sugarcoating it, I guess my my aim, you know, I guess fundamentalism affected me personally on a personal level because I believe these things to the core and um, it divided me, separated me from my family, you know, for a while. So that's that's one thing, you know, but um, I realized that fundamentalism, when you have these beliefs that you won't give up regardless of like, you know, uh, this blood connection you have with people, then you have to really question whether that is worth it, right? Does it actually stand up to criticism or not? And uh, yeah, it wasn't just just the, from the Islamic perspective. Although that is my end target, because we know you don't really hear of Christian terrorists. Yeah, like I mean, I know it's a little bit polemical. I don't know, you know, people out there might not like to hear that. You don't hear of that. 
you know, you might want to call the Israeli, you know, soldiers uh, terrorists, maybe, you know, but you don't, you don't really hear people, you know, doing things because their faith tells them to. Their faith is not telling them to become terrorists and to fight people. The only religion that does that and the only religion, I guess, where you can point to your own texts and your own examples and et cetera, different things to make you fight and go and, you know, harm other human beings is Islam. Unfortunately, that's the case. So fundamentalism in Islam is my end goal. That's that's the fact. That's the truth. You, you mean battling it? Battling it. Yeah. 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 That's, that's um, my target. I, I would I would mostly agree with what you said. I, I don't think it's unique to Islam, but I, I do think that at the moment, at the current point in time that we are right now, it is a huge threat. And, you know, sometimes people might bring up something like, you know, stats in the U.S. that show that right wing terrorism is much worse than, say, Islamic terrorism in terms of deaths, which is mm -hmm. true. But in a sense, that's because the U.S. has dealt with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? They've they've managed to put a lid on it, which right. is now now other issues are coming up. But if you look at globally, oh, say, yeah. mm -hmm. if you look at globally, fundamental like extremist Islam is a big problem. It's it is mm -hmm. because it's it's not going away. Taliban, Boko Haram, Al Qaeda, like the, it's just yeah. never ending problem that's going to plague humanity until the day of judgment <laughs> it's just not <laughs> exactly. going to go away and 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 like we no. we need to talk about these things and yeah. and you're right this is the antidote antidote to fundamentalism mm -hmm. what we're doing is the antidote and we need to exactly. keep doing it um you you what you said really resonated with me that you paid a personal price which is why many of us we talk about islam because we we were muslim and we know what it's like and we we understand that if we don't do this well, the dawah is going to overwhelm people and the people are going to convert on false premises. So we, we got right. to keep doing this, you know? Exactly correct. Yeah, we have to combat that. I think a lot of it's happening in the UK, you know? You hear of, like, you know, numbers exploding over there because, you know, for a plethora of reasons, you know, there could be, you know, the loneliness aspect, right? You know, because Islam offers that brotherhood, sisterhood, et cetera. And that community that people lack, you know, when I guess they lose their faith in Christianity, et cetera, um, that might be one of the reasons. And yeah, like I said at the beginning, a lot of the theological kind of explanations on the surface you know they on appeal. a very yeah. shallow level they're appealing yeah and you know i always wonder about the community thing because if you're like a christian you you do have a community you have a church and stuff but right. for some reason people they don't see that and then they want to jump to islam and now they have this community that's very conditional it's a very conditional love. it is more conditional they will yeah. accept you mm -hmm. you go with like you see all the time people come with the tattoos they're told off at the mosque dude the dude has tattoos from before right mm, and but mm. but people don't understand that or they're like expect you now to conform and there's examples i'm not going to mention names but there's examples of like famous tiktokers that converted to islam and then were expected to go along with all of the things that they don't feel comfortable with like some of the misogyny you know women must submit to the husbands you know certain teachings in islam homophobia like many most i know i know a bunch of tiktokers at least two or three that mm -hmm. converted to islam and got so fed up with the homophobia they left islam <laughs> Right, because they're right. like that. I don't want anything to do with this, but the Muslim yeah. community expects you. To, yeah, we'll give you a hundred thousand subscribers overnight, which is what happens to a bunch of them. But then mm -hmm. you have to toe the party line. You can't. Right. You can't. If you if you if you say things that go against this, you're going to be canceled. Like, and that's what yeah. happened to a bunch of them, right? So, it's conditional love. You know, it's not really. You're yeah. not really getting a community that's going to accept you. And that's why when I say talking about the cult thing, going back to the cult. Mm -hmm. I was one of those like kind of like cult members because when I left Islam, I lost all my friends and I'm like, okay. 
the older you are, when you face that challenge, the more difficult it becomes. I was in my 30s, early 30s. So, you know, thankfully, I have the opportunity to recover, make new friends and, you know, yeah. get new hobbies and all that. Someone that that was in the 50s, like Hassan Radwan, that was deeply in this religion. It's much harder for someone like that. Mm-hmm. Like you're, you're an old person now, you know, all respect and love to Hassan Radwan and people like that. Who, you made that sacrifice, you know, and openly made that sacrifice so people like us could, you know, don't have to wait until we're in the 50s to realize, hey, this entire thing is a lie. Mm-hmm. But it's hard, man. Like I lost all yeah. my friends. My, you know, it's my, it's, it's difficult. And so f- other people need to know this so that they don't make the same deep dive and then right. make the same mistake. And then they have just as, as difficult a time, you know? So, yeah, look, I, I think one of the biggest things that um, I guess concerns me is that this lie tactic, and this is a lie tactic, right? We've got to call it out and, and label it what it is. How is Islam sold to these gullible people? It is pure monotheism. It's simple. It's a simple message, all right? It's just a belief in one God. That's it, you know, and Muhammad is a messenger, you know? Maybe they'll, they might add that in, you know, in a little with a little asterisk you know, at the end. It's a simple religion. And then and then all the other stuff occurs, right? Just what you described, the homophobia, the misogyny, et cetera, et cetera. That comes later. And you better follow it because watch out if you don't, right? The biggest, uh, like the biggest joke of all is you can't leave it. Do they tell yeah. Converse that? No. <laughs> <laughs> like no. that's the biggest like giant asterisk like flashing neon lights one exactly. way entry no exit <laughs> exactly. like you gotta sign they should make you sign in blood so you understand <laughs> like this is like i hate yeah. to say like i hate to say like death cult or something but like and, and, and you know thankfully it's not actually a death cult to most people and you can leave it most people mm-hmm. can leave it but like sure. the there are risks right uh, in the extremist country, and... correct. Yeah, depending on where you live. That's exactly yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is, you know, just to go off on a slightly, you know, further tangent. Um, Judaism. <laughs> you know, what what do they have? Right, they actually have a two year program, I believe. You know, where you undergo all these studies. You can't just show up and say, you know, what I believe in the God of Abraham. Can I can I join now? No, not really. You know, you have to actually go and do a full two year course or one and a half year course with a rabbi, and then. I'm assuming that there are tests and things involved. And then if you pass and you're still willing to do it, then you join, right? Islam is an instant thing, right? It's an instant sign yeah. up, like you're signed up for life, right? <laughs> Just as it's you described. Too, it's too easy to join and too difficult to leave. Yeah. Yes, exactly right. But um, anyway, we digress. But it's good to talk about these things for sure. Um, I'm, I'm sure people need to hear it. Some people out there especially. Um, mm-hmm. Absolutely, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so apocaly- apocalypticism, sorry. Um, yeah, I, I really think this is one of the failures of islam and and it's one of the failures of um all apocalyptic writers right this is one of the reasons for why i disbelieve in all abrahamic faiths right so what you see is a transition again so what i just described with um in terms of what christine has you know just quoted so she says that initially this wasn't a concern right there was never a concern that the world was going to end right after this huge flood which we know you know the story of noah the world was never supposed to end. You know, these kinds of things was just supposed to happen once. And then for the rest of, you know, eternity, it was just supposed to be humans on earth following the ordinances of God, right? And just living and dying and, you know, just repeating the cycle forever. Um, so essentially, this arose out of, I guess, I guess a view that uh, things were happening the way they were supposed to, right? Um, things were not occurring. They were not being rescued the same way that God is res- rescuing their supposed ancestors. For example, when they were trapped in Egypt, 
right? God came and intervened and um, sent them Moses and let them let them out essentially through these miracles. God intervened in history. At one point, He stopped doing this, you know, <laughs> to to put it bluntly, and they were wondering why. So they came up with this idea that one day God was going to intervene again, just as He did in the olden times, and He was going to bring things to an end and restore justice to everybody. And then with this comes, um, you know, this uh, Messiah figure. With this comes the general resurrection of the dead, right? Which which um, also involves the day of judgment, right? All these elements which are present in Islam, again, a, they are all Jewish bidah, all of them, right? We have to remember that, okay? And um, sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say the thing is, Muslims would just say that you know, you, if you present some of these evidences to them. The problem with the Muslim worldview is this. They will just say those previous religions are corrupted. And right. my yeah. religion is the true... Because, for example, the biggest example to me is the paganism that's clearly part of Islam. You know, mm -hmm. like there's like pagan elements to the religion. And even the companions of the Prophet were like uncomfortable with doing some of these things because... They used to do these things in Jahiliya, meaning the pre-Islamic mm. times. For example, walking between Safa and Marwa. This is now a part of Hajj and Umrah. Yeah. But they there used to be two idols on these hills that you know, there's a story behind it, anyways, to digress. But the point is that's clearly paganism. Yeah. Going around the thing seven times, all of that stuff. But because Allah approved it, it's like Islamic, it's no longer paganism. It's now Islamicized, right? So I see. Okay. Yeah. But we can no, try. I, we can I, think, try you know? I think I think you're right. You know, um, many people who I, I guess present this information to, they say the same thing, right? They have this blanket response, which is nice and easy, so convenient. That's a Christian problem. That's a Jewish problem. You know, we have the Quran, right? Which is straight, direct from Allah. Doesn't matter what historians say. Doesn't matter what this, this, and that. It was all corrupted, right? That's that's the blanket response, and it's, it's so good, easy. It's a cop out. It's a cop out. <laughs> it's a get out of jail card. I I love yeah. how you you recite you say the Arabic words, the Quran and Allah. <laughs> you say it well. Um, Thanks. And probably another reason why people say your apostate Aladdin's a twin. The in regard to what you said about get, it's a good question. I, I sometimes ask people this. I sometimes stop and ask people if I presented evidence to you from the historical perspective that this is false, mm -hmm. would it make a difference to you? If right. they say no, I'm like, okay, there's no point talking to you because clearly you've, you've pre-decided, you've, you've already decided. So there's, this is not, you're not looking for evidence. Mm -hmm. You're not going to be convinced by evidence. Your, your view is unfalsifiable. I love asking people, is your view unfalsifiable? Your view of the Quran and you have to explain mm -hmm. to them what unfalsifiable is. But like, if you believe that there's nothing that can disprove the Quran. Like, is it theoretically possible that I could show you something that would prove the Quran wrong? If you say theoretically it's not possible, then okay, it's done. The discussion's over. You're basically much. just believing in it because you've you've decided to believe in it. You you're not looking Correct. for evidence, right? So that's right. That's right. Yeah. Um, they've got a foregone conclusion. You know, these people that I guess you know you talk to and have that response, you can't really do much, unfortunately, about them. Um for yeah, me, the, it was the, like, so know, maybe it's not the long term for it, but I've used this mm. term before presuppositionalism. It, okay. it has a Christian sort of meaning to it, but like if you just look at it as as meaning you've already presupposed this belief, then there's mm. no arguing with you. So you know what? Believe what you want to believe, but don't yeah. claim that it's based on evidence because it's not. It's that dogma. last bit That's is it. so important. Yes, that, that last part of your sentence, right? You know, because it is purely based on faith at that point, right? If it contradicts historical evidence, 
right, um, that arises from, you know, someone who, or people who don't necessarily have Islam in mind when they talk about these things, all right, they're focused on the Hebrew Bible and, like, you know, that period in history, it shows that it contradicts the Quran time and time again. If that doesn't convince you, you know, then maybe nothing will. And mm -hmm. that's fair, you know. You know, I just want to make it make, mention one point here. So some people will say, you know, they'll, they'll come up with, um, I guess, uh, objections like the no true Scotsman fallacy, right? They'll say, you weren't a real Muslim. You were looking for a way out, right? You know, that that's why you found all these things and you were convinced because you're already on some level looking for a way out. Let me tell you that <laughs> I, when I was reading for these things. You know, you hear that, right? But let me tell you, for me personally, it was not the case, okay? I was actually um, trying to convince Christians to come into Islam. I was reading Bart Oman's work because I knew, you know, that he really went really hard with them. And and this, like I just said, that book from Forged, you know, that book written, um, titled Forged. Yeah. The stuff in there is what got me, you know, and I was just shocked. I was not expecting it. That was the thing. Are you serious? So you were, try as a Muslim, reading Bart Oman's books to try to convince Christians to become Muslim? Correct. Yes. That's exactly oh, my, that was my initial intention. I did not try and find things to disprove my own religion, but I came across these things about Jesus making birds <laughs> from clay. And I was like, oh, this is not, this is not happening. And I kept reading and I thought, holy crap. Overnight, it was literally a matter of one or two days at most where my faith was shattered. My fundamentalism at least was shattered and completely just destroyed. Okay. Let me, let me get this right. So you were Muslim for seven years. You read this book. And now mm -hmm. it changed, like you basically, your faith was gone. Pretty much. It was essentially, yeah, just completely destroyed overnight. I realized, you know, I read that. I also read some things about, you know, how the virgin birth story originated. And I thought, this is something that Quran says time and time again, <laughs> right? No Muslim denies this. This is part of the selling point. This is one of the selling points that I bought into, right? No, he's not, the, he's not God, but we had the virgin birth and um, he's the Messiah, right? You know, all these things, oh, great, you know, meet me halfway. But they're false. You, you know, I resonate with that a lot because let me tell you, it wasn't this long process for me either. I was Muslim for like 15 years, mm -hmm. fully religious, praying five times a day, eating halal, all that stuff. And mm -hmm. then when I started to find the problems, it happened in, like the first time it happened, I was able to bury my doubts. And I just let it, I just left it and I just didn't think about it. And I became Muslim again for a moment year. But the mm -hmm. second time it happened, it was like within we like it was done. The faith was yeah. gone because the evidence mm -hmm. was now staring me in the eyes and there was no yeah. way to, to hide from the truth because it was so, it was so compelling. The it yeah. was, evidence was so strong and so compelling that this is completely made up that I just couldn't do it anymore. And so for me, it was a matter of weeks. I was like reading, reading, reading everything I could find, every single blog I could find. I was watching videos. And what I, when I finally realized that this is false, I started sharing with other people. People thought I was nuts and stuff on Facebook. Right. Yeah. But but I resonate with that because like once you see it, you can't unsee it. You don't need years. And I've, I've seen people on the other side too that like Muslims that they're so programmed, so strongly programmed that like i have a friend that's been like sort of wavering muslim ex-muslim muslim ex-muslim for like a couple of years now i've been talking to him three or four years and yeah. he can't really find his way out because of you know the family the community and this mm. but he, he has like massive doubts as he puts it but like right. he's not able to take that leap of that plunge and just leave it altogether. but mm -hmm. people like me and people like you once we see it it's over that's there's, there's nothing left much. There's no, no you know yeah 
No, exactly right. You know, like I said, I, I was just, you know, so taken aback. And no one had really told me about this, right? Like, I think these things are just hidden, you know, this hidden knowledge and no one really promotes this because it is quite embarrassing. And like I said, you know, Muslims like to quote and cherry pick, you know, Bart Ehrman's work. And this is just one of these examples, you know, it's clear there, actually, if you read the whole book, it's not hidden over, you know, one little paragraph or one sentence. It's like, you know, quite big sections within his book. But to get access to this book, you know, you need to actually find out about Bart Ehrman first. And you and, need and to go be... and look at it. Other... Again, Sorry. you need to be a person that cares about evidence. Right. I think the thing that we have in common, me and you, is both of us converted to Islam on the premise that it's true. We yes. were not, we weren't born. I mean, I was kind of born into it, but I was born in a different sect. But what I mean is, I wasn't like, I wasn't a, a, like a believing, religious, practicing Muslim until I that point in my life. So I, let's mm -hmm. just say converted, just make it easy. Same with you. You converted on the premises that this is true. So when you mm -hmm. found the premises that it's not true, well, for the same, your same like logic and reasoning that took you into Islam took you out of Islam. Yeah, pretty right? much. Exactly right. Yeah. And so people like us, we're different. We care. Mm -hmm. We're not just going to believe because, you know, we were born into it, the community, whatever. None of that stuff matters. What matters is, is this true? Mm -hmm. And that's Correct. the most important thing. If I can just read one comment. Yeah. Um, Reminiscence says, I can relate. I read Richard, Richard Fr Fr Friedman to prove the Quran is right about Bible corruption. <laughs> it ended up shaking my whole view of Abrahamic religions until it co collapsed. Well done to you too. Mm -hmm. Beautiful book, Richard Friedman. Who wrote the Bible? Is is that book? Oh. I, I'm guessing. You know, it's such a such a good book. Yeah, um, big eye opener. And yeah, have a look, guys. You know, I really recommend anyone listening out there read these books, listen to their lectures. You know, it's it's just amazing, and it's a whole new world of knowledge. That yeah, unfortunately, you know, maybe to some people, unfortunately, will shatter your your worldview of your own religion. You know, if you do hold hold on to those fundamental beliefs. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, getting back to, I guess we talked about Satan already. Um, apocalypticism a little bit more. So yeah, this, this whole, um, concept, you know, was, was a, a, I guess a piece of, you know, literature that evolved over time. You see it really developed in Christianity. I just want to make this last point. It was really developed there. You, know, you can see it most prevalently in the uh, book of revelation um where you see you know this uh this figure of jesus returning back to earth and destroying evil you see the um, antichrist rising and trying to you know persuade people and he does a good job at it um then you see this in islam obviously right you see you see it where you see it in the hadith more than anything although there is some inkling within the quran that jesus is to return and his uh, return is a sign of the hour you know that that's a verse in the quran i can't remember where, where it is but it's there uh but it's most um, explicit in the hadith right which raises questions in itself you know why isn't it in the quran if it's so important but anyway um it, it is there so this concept of ad-dajjal and isa coming back and destroying him etc this um dualistic kind of view worldview of us versus them which is very dangerous of course as we all know um arose out of this right out of judaism that's what historians say so look yeah you know the i guess the objection that muslims will, will come up with is that doesn't matter what these texts say. doesn't matter about the historians, etc. Quran says it. Allah says it. I have to believe it, you know. But anyway, if you are rational, look at the evidence. Look at how it arose. The conclusion should be, per what I what, what I interpret, is that this is a man-made invention. All of these things are. Yeah. 
Occam's laser would help some people. Um, when you have two explanations, you know, look at the two explanations and see which one is more likely. Is it possible that either this book is straight from God, yet conveniently the stories that it includes just happen to be stories that was passed along, clear known forgeries, I mean, claimed forgeries, let's say, from the Muslim perspective, yet apparently they ended up in the Quran, right? Mm -hmm. Is that just a coincidence? For me, you know, was was Dulkarnain an issue for you at all? I haven't looked into that too much. I only looked at it very uh, briefly recently, but no, can you tell me more about it? So this to me was like a crushing blow to my faith. This was like a big problem. What I found out was that, well, first of all, many scholars, including Yusuf Ali, the one that the most famous translation of Quran, uh, Abdullah Yusuf Ali, claim that Dulkanain, the story of basically the, the great king that was asked by these people to trap Gog and Magog behind the dam or a wall to yep. keep them away because Gog and Magog were doing mischief on the earth. That's in the Bible too. And he, they needed this king to help them, right? Because it was it was like a, this giant nation or whatever. Right? Right. Um, they couldn't do it on themselves. They needed this powerful king. This powerful king was called Dolkanen, means the one that has two horns. Dolkanen yep. means the owner of two horns. Who was this guy? Now, somehow, the story of Dolkanen, point for point, like almost 100% identical to the Syriac Alexander romance. The right. gate is made out of copper. When I read this, it was like Islam is dead. There's no way back after this. It was so yeah. bad. It was, it was so crushed in my mind. Mm -hmm. I, I bought a book. I have a book of Alexander the Great in my library over there. And Alexander the Great, apparently, in the Syriac version anyways, he goes to the edges of the earth, the east and the west. Mm -hmm. he, he travels to the place of sunrise, the place okay. of sunset. And the Quran says he walked to the place of sunrise. Like, yeah. what the hell does that mean? How do you mm -hmm. walk to the place of sunrise? But, you know, Muslims take it metaphorically, whatever. He walked in that direction or whatever. Some scholars recently um, tried to make a claim that he was walking to the place where the sun never sets, which is funny because it's north. It's not okay. <laughs> east and west. But anyways, whatever. Yeah, yeah. So the story, the Syriac Alexander romance is hilarious. It's obviously a, like a, it's called a romance for a reason. It's not historical. It's a mm -hmm. romance. It's like a made up okay. story, right? Yeah. The place where the sun rises, they, it's a place where the people have no shade. And guess what? Okay. They're like described as Negroes or dark skinned or whatever. Uh, because the sun's there and they have no shade. So right. apparently that's why they're black. Whoever wrote that, okay. that's what they were thinking, the simplistic thinking, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Then mm -hmm. the place of sunset, again, there's some there's some story. Be oh yeah, yeah. It sets in the in the fetid sea. So at the time of the writing of um Alexander Romance, they believed that there was this fetid sea which was like poisonous or something like they had like a lot of misconceptions about science and like geography and stuff and so in the story alexander is able to trap Dulk, the gog and magog between the fetid sea and this dam that he built in real life we live in a round globe and there's no mountains and sea and stuff so it like the none of the story makes sense like none of it none of it makes sense on a globe but like you there's even like maps of this flat earth where you know some islamic scholars have shown how he trapped them behind the gate and this and that okay. and between the this fetid seed and the quran kind of like you know 
implies a lot of these things. It, it kind of implies the fetid sea and implies the sun going into the fetid sea and implies mm -hmm. this place where there's no shade from the sun. The people have no shade from the sun. It's, it's so sad when you, when you think about like, this is such a stupid story and Muhammad yeah. put it in the Quran and like, I believed it, you know, you believed it. We all believed it. It's so mm -hmm. stupid. It's so man-made. Yeah. It's so dumb. And it exposes the entire thing as a, as a, as a fuzz. Right. And like the mass has, has a video called um, the, the chapter that gave it all away. Like he's exactly okay. like, yeah, this yeah, right. one chapter annihilates the Quran. You, after okay. this, you cannot, cannot believe anymore. Now, Muslims will say things like, well, Gog and Magog, uh, under the sea, the, I, I don't know, the, in, the hollow earth theory. Okay. They're like stretching, like, you know, yeah, like, yeah. it's like, what? Okay. Yeah. So that's, that's, that's I, I, yeah. I want to look into that one because um, I have arguments with people all the time. Like I'll say discussions, you know, sometimes they turn into arguments about, you know, um, the timing, right? You know, when uh, the dating, sorry, I should say of text. And they mm -hmm. always say, oh, no, you know, they always find some sort of fringe theory saying, oh, no, that text comes after the Quran. It copied okay. the Quran, you know. But if this is can be dated to before the Quran and it's clearly written with the intention of being a myth, you know what you're describing. So this now, is so this cunning. is the, okay. So the, that that rebuttal, I've heard that rebuttal as well. So yeah, they yeah. ask a question. Well, how do you know that the the Syriac Alexander romance was not copied from the Quran? And it's a good right. question because the Kalman dating, it doesn't have enough accuracy that you can like hundred percent say it's after the Quran because there's a range. Right. Yes, so, a range. Yeah. But like after I looked into a little bit more, like what I found is that this this meme of Alexander. It goes back to Jewish stories, Jewish okay. folk tales. Like it actually goes even further back than yeah, both yeah. the Syriac romance and the Quran. There's an earlier version of the story that has the same elements okay, from I the see. Jewish yep. folk tales. So, so basically, this thing goes back to Jewish stories again, which yeah. is kind of funny. But but yeah, academics say that like this story has been around for a very long time. But the point is, it's obviously totally fiction. Yeah. The, the 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 actual historical alexander some people say he was a homosexual okay. clearly forget that clearly he was a pagan like he was he was not a worship he's not a monotheist 100 no. percent, he was not a monotheist so now yeah. now muslims will say things like well alexander it wasn't alexander he's just some unknown king some people say he was uh, cyrus the great and that's just stupid Okay. But the more common, like, like apologist um, response is that Alexander was actually, sorry, Dolkanen was actually some unknown king. Okay. How convenient. That somehow <laughs> matches the Alexander Syriac romance 100%. Right. But just forget that. Yeah. None of that matters. <laughs> He's no, an unknown no, king. He has two horns. Yeah. The, 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 the coins of Alexander depict him as having two horns as well. Oh, no, no. That's just coincidence. Like, yeah okay sure <laughs> that's the <laughs> problem just... right yeah that's that's what they can always rationalize okay if you've come to that conclusion that it must be true you'll find anything to prove that you're right right you'll just you'll i guess yeah just swipe everything else under the rug you know and just say you know it's it's all rubbish it's all just like coincidental that's what you can, hear all the time can i share one i want to share one uh comment here gog oh, yeah. was a prince son of joel leader of messa chechen tool tribe from the land of magog Again, this is the broken telephone in action. Yeah. That's yeah. another thing I looked I, I realized when I looked into it. It Gog from Magog <laughs> became mm -hmm. Gog at Magog. Right, right. Okay, how interesting. Yeah. 
the more you look into things, right, the more it unravels and the less it's it like, makes sense. <laughs> it's a guy called Gog from a town called Magog. Now it's Gog oh, and Magog. Now it's yeah, like two separate that. entities. Yeah, it's yeah. changing. The story is changing. It's mm -hmm. uh, it's like I'm getting so emotional because it's like we we get emotional. I get emotional because I feel so dumb. Like I feel like how could I believe? Well, obviously, I never looked into it, but. It's so obvious, right? And you know, people you argue with it. us. When you look into it, it becomes yeah. so. It just unravels. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know. Basically, yeah. Um, personally, you know, my story was, you know, I came to the conclusion that there was an Abrahamic God, right? That was already something that was undebatable for me. And there was this historical figure called Jesus, and he was the Messiah. You know, all these little conclusions that I had come to accept, you know, regardless of anything. So Islam was a natural path for me, you know, because I wanted that connection, as I described before. And again, I didn't look into these things, right? I didn't look into how historically accurate it is. What were the sources, you know, that um, I guess made their way into the Quran? I don't like to use the word copy because copy suggests, you know, some may suggest plagiarism. Um, but it was definitely a kind of like um, it has a common source or it has an older source that is almost identical, you know, if not exactly identical, um, which proves that it was man-made, you know. It's, and I think what people have to realize, what Muslims have to realize is that these stories were being circulated and were being treated with equal historical importance, right? All of them were. Just because some were in the Bible, some were canonical, some were not, you know, and some were even non, you know, um, have nothing to do with religion, like, you know, per se. They were stories that were circulating at the time and people believed them, you know, one way or another. I guess Muhammad equated all of them as being all historically accurate, you know, being historical events that actually occurred and just included them in the Quran. That is the real crux of the issue that as time has passed, we are starting to un like, like understand what's fiction and what's not fiction. At that time, it wasn't clear at all. No distinction. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And and, and yeah. the, the funniest thing is like the stories about Alexander the Great. Honestly, if you read it, you'll laugh. He went under the bell. This one didn't end up in the Quran because it wasn't in the Syriac version. He went in a bell under the ocean. Like the funniest, like <laughs> like coolest stuff. Like right. this guy was amazing. Yeah. Okay. He was a real hero. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like sadly, it wasn't true. And you know, the real historical Alexander didn't go in a bell to the bottom of the ocean or whatever. Surely he not. was, you know, a worshiper of multiple gods, not a monotheist. Yeah. But but of course, like, how did Muhammad, Muhammad didn't know better? So no. once you see that you can't unsee it it's just like mm -hmm. you have to decide then are you are you brave enough to face the truth and to face reality without allah yeah. correct which some yeah. of us are and some of us are not so it is a know. bit terrifying you know because like growing up with you know having that i guess that you know father figure almost you know that sky daddy you know that's the way people describe <laughs> it in this guy who looks who looks out for your best interest right like regardless of what happens to you good or bad you always have that, you know, that um figure to rely back on. You know, you can always ask and petition him for different things. Losing that is almost like losing a best friend for me. You know, it was it was quite hard emotionally, but I got through it, you know, and I, I encourage anyone who's having these doubts, look into this. You know, it's not just one example. It's numerous. It's countless. I, I would say okay, that almost every single story in the Quran has an earlier source. And some of these are forgeries and um, basically, you know, not historical. And you have to ask yourself, you know, why? Why does it contradict the Quran? Why does the Quran, why does Muhammad, my prophet, tell me that these are true? When historians and everything else that uh, modern research has demonstrated shows that it's not, you know, it's really false. Well said. That's um, that's a great way to end it. And Al-Mu'alim, I just want to say thank you for coming on here. 
um we got to do this again with slides yeah this was great i mean honestly we vibed a lot i totally resonated with like everything you were saying um you gave me a lot a lot of um good resources to read into a little bit more so if you can you know, I'll post the links. Uh, those of you who have um, just joined or missed the beginning, do check out Al Mualim's YouTube channel. I've put in the description now. And I also have linked his TikTok account. So he's more active on TikTok right now. But, yeah. you know, going forward, he's going to be uploading YouTube videos. So do subscribe to his channel. Check it out. And, um, you know, like he said, be brave. You know, face your doubts. There's, there's a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, things mm -hmm. may seem gloomy and dark without Allah. But, life does get better i mean it's it does. a challenging phase but you will get there and uh as music guy was 20 is saying don't forget to like the video subscribe to the channel and ring that bell for notifications um and as well join the patreon if you can afford it thank you everyone for coming and joining us tonight and uh, merry christmas to everyone that's uh celebrating and uh wish you guys a happy new year hopefully we'll see you for another live stream before that but if not have a happy new year and uh check out Al Mualem's channel Bye, everyone. Thanks, thanks so much. See you guys.